What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports, college football and NFL draft podcast. It's Wednesday morning, most likely, when you're listening to this, which means the NFL trade deadline has come and passed. You got my boy Connor Rogers riding shotgun from Hoboken, buddy. We waited until Tuesday afternoon to record because we wanted to make this show all about the trade deadline and how that impacts the 2019 NFL draft. Not a lot of college on today's show. We will make it up to you Friday morning when Mello and I are on your on your iTunes or wherever you listen to this, but so much trade deadline that you and I are going to talk about. Yeah, we were really excited for this. We purposely waited because we knew there would be a lot of action. I know if you guys listened to last week's Wednesday show, we had really done a deep preview and look ahead and touched on some buzz and rumors that we've been hearing around the trade deadline. And of course, there was a lot of action. I don't think the star pieces were moved like, and we're going to talk about this, but it's interesting when you look at the Cardinals, when Patrick Peterson and Chandler Jones, guys like that stay put. Le'Veon Bell, it was just too hard to trade, but there was some really productive moves made and they will affect the draft because there's teams that are clearly in sell mode, loading up on mid-round picks. They're not doing the Raiders route and stacking those first round <laughs> picks, but I think some teams really made some nice moves this week that can put them in a Super Bowl hunt. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I, that's a great point uh, that, that you mentioned there. We didn't see the star moves. The New England Patriots did not trade for anyone. So all the smoke about, oh, they're going to load up with a corner or maybe a receiver. Uh, and, and potentially they tried to, and just the asking prices were too high. They couldn't get something done. But New England doesn't make a move. Guys like Janoris Jenkins, Patrick Peterson, Le'Veon Bell aren't traded. Uh, we don't see Jacksonville try to get a quarterback in there. So uh, a, a lot of the moves that we had theorized could happen or should happen really didn't... Uh, excuse me, really didn't come to pass. So we have a handful of trades that we want to talk about. But when you talk about the trade deadline, and this is where we're going to go first today, you're generally talking about four drafts ago. Because for us, the 2015 draft, you have all those rookies who are coming up to the end of their rookie deal. Some guys like Amari Cooper have a fifth-year option that now the Cowboys can pick up or not pick up. But for most of these players, they're coming to the end of their contract. That's when you're going to see them traded. And it's a good time to look back at 2015 and say, was this a good draft or not? And I have this nugget for you before we start this. Over one-third of the 2015 first round has been traded or released as of right now, Tuesday afternoon, which blows my mind because That's this insane. was supposed to be, we were told this was a good draft. And it looked like one right out of the gate with so many of the top 10 picks being Pro Bowl players, Jameis Winston made a Pro Bowl, Amari Cooper, Brandon Scherf, Leonard Williams, Vic Beasley, Todd Gurley, all made the Pro Bowl, and they were top 10 picks. Now, in hindsight, we can say, you know what, man, this actually wasn't a very good draft. I completely agree with you. I think it's startling, and of course it starts at the top. You look at the quarterbacks taken, I think we expected these guys to have not only starter, you know, middle tier starter potential, but star potential. When you look at these guys and Jameis Winston, who let's call it like it is, Matt, it's over yeah. in Tampa Bay. I mean, not only is he done, he might take down everyone with him because of that miss. I, I think when you're circling it, and we said this over summer, if you guys listen to the show, Tampa was a, a front office really treading lightly, and that's probably going to cost them. The coaching staff, more importantly, has to go. I don't know who will give Winston a second chance, but there's somebody out there that will. I've been really underwhelmed by Marcus Mariota, but getting past these two, it's interesting to see guys moved like Dante Fowler, who never really got it going in Jacksonville when 
a guy taken in the second round and and Yannick Nagakwe or or the third round, excuse me, on day two has been a superstar. And and it goes to show you that you can make up for it if you miss it. But man, there was so many first round misses in this group. The list goes on. I mean, Danny Shelton was traded way earlier than this. Yeah. Haven't really, uh, Kevin Johnson's been hurt. You can go through all of these names. I know the Broncos were interested in trading Shane Ray today and couldn't get it done. So this 2015 first round has been mostly a dud. I mean, here's the positives. Brandon Scherf looks like a all pro level offensive lineman these days. I think Leonard Williams has been very solid for the Jets. Not a star. Todd Gurley is an absolute superstar. Melvin Gordon is starting to look like a star. But Marcus Peters has been up and down after a hot star. And the rest of these guys are are either busts or just guys. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the, the players that have been moved, Dante Fowler traded, Amari Cooper traded, Eric Flowers uh, gone, Danny Shelton gone from the original team, Marcus Peters, Cameron Irving, Brashad Perriman, Lakin Tomlinson, Philip Dorsett, Demarius Randall, and Stephon Anthony all on new teams after being top 32 picks in that draft. So not a good one overall. Also not a good draft for the Green Bay Packers. Another, it's just one of those notes where you see it and you're like, there's no fucking way this is true. So you go look it up and it is true. The Green Bay Packers do not have one player left from that draft. And they had, uh, they had what, eight picks in that draft? And not one's there. Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, Ty Montgomery, Jake Ryan, Brett Hundley, Aaron Ripkowski, Christian Ringo, and Kennard Backman. All of them gone from the Green Bay Packers. And they shouldn't have traded Demarius Randall. <laughs> no, they should. They should have played him as safety. Uh, is exactly what should have happened. Uh, but it's it's phenomenal. And you look at okay, why does a team? We we hear it all the time. Why can't they win? You have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. How can they be this bad? This is it. Four years in, these guys should be the foundation of your team. You should have three starters from that draft class. Uh, and and you're looking at now starting to turn it over and which of these guys is our building block and our blue chip players. You got none of them, which is just is phenomenal. And you know, not to you know, piss on Ted Thompson's regime completely, but when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, you cannot afford to miss on every single pick in a draft. And that's why they turn things over. And I think for good reason, they got it right now. I mean, when you look at the corners they've taken and the success that they've had, and not to mention the trade to get an extra first round pick for next year, the trade with the Saints when the Saints came up for Marcus Davenport, but Jair Alexander looks like a superstar yes, he does. now. I mean, he had a fantastic week. When you look at the film, he he's nasty, he's tough, he does everything you want out of a physical corner. So when you look at the Packers, they're a good example, and it's early, but a team that, you know, made a a franchise that made a change for the front office. And it's starting to pay dividends because like you said, Matt, you only have so long in those windows of quarterback greatness. And only so many teams are given that window because there's only so many great quarterbacks. The Packers have one right now. And I think they understand that now trading, we'll get into the trading haha and all of that, but they understand that they're a team that you got to get this thing going and build another two to three year window because it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's the core around him that has to help him out. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's embarrassing to, to see. And it, on the flip side, a, a team that we thought had a really good draft that year, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, you looked at, okay, they they went and they addressed defense and they got speed rushers. I mean, they they took Dante Fowler. They drafted TJ Yeldon in the second round. And it, it felt like that was a draft that was going to put them over the top. And now you're looking back at it like Dante Fowler's gone and never lived up to that number three pick status. Some of it was injury related, of course. You know, missed his rookie year. 
TJ Yeldon never became the guy. I mean, he's still not even the guy. They had to trade for Carlos Hyde when Yeldon and Fournette got banged up. AJ can never became the dude at guard. James Sample, hard hitting safety, um, has never developed it to a, a top tier starter. So, it, it, when you look at Green Bay and yeah, they missed, and so it shut this window that they had with Aaron Rodgers for Jacksonville. It, we saw them get red hot last year, and a lot of people thought, and I, I think at times I was guilty of it too, of that. Look at the core that they have, and this group's going to be so good. And I, I all that is to say that I think with Dante Fowler. One of the biggest myths that I saw all week was that this dude was like a a top tier trade piece that some people thought my team, the Niners should trade for him. A lot of people thought your team, the New York Jets should trade for him. And I know for a fact the Jets were making calls on that. But when they heard the asking price, they were like, no fucking way. This is a guy who had what one sack so far this year. I mean, he's he's not the player that a lot of people believe he is. And so much of that is tied into the fact that he was the number three pick in the draft. And I'm, I'm sorry, he has two sacks this year, 14 in his career, 14 sacks in four years. Are, are you happy looking at this, that the Jets didn't rent this guy, who's another point is a contract year for him. They didn't want to rent this guy for eight, nine weeks. Well, I think the issue with Fowler is there are some questions off the field. People are concerned long-term. Can you trust him when you give him a gigantic payday? Mind you, he's already gotten one. When you're the third overall pick in the draft, no matter what year it is, you get a lot of money. So for Fowler, besides character, the injuries have kind of piled up. I do think, although he's played sparingly, the film is really good this year. And if you're the Rams in a Super Bowl window, this is a great roll of the dice for a third-round pick in the spring and a fifth-round pick in 2020. For the Jets, they're not in rental kind of period time here. They're not... They would have had to draft. They would have had to trade for him and sign him to a long-term extension right away. And I would have liked the move, but like you said, Matt, there's a point where the value doesn't really pan out here. I think the Jets are going to be picking in the top 15 next year, and we talk about the pass rushers every week because there's five or six really good ones in this class. You got to get one then. I think going to the Rams, Fowler is going to hit free agency. You have a hundred million dollars in cap space. You could still go sign him. I know I harp on this all the time and and some Jets fans don't want to hear it. And a lot of rebuilding teams don't want to hear it. This year never really mattered from a wins and losses standpoint. You're starting a rookie in Sam Darnold who turned 21 years old after the draft. They weren't making the playoffs. So you're not in the same category as the Rams. Washington, who made the move for Ha Ha Clinton Dix. They're a legitimate contender in the NFC East this year and beyond that. Those are the teams that go out and make these moves and say, the guy's talented. Do we have the right environment to influence him or motivate him to play at the highest level right now? For the Rams, Fowler is going to do that there. You're on a line with Nadamakin Sue, Aaron Donald. You're about to hit free agency. What more motivation do you need? No, you're you're absolutely right, man. And for the people who thought like, okay, why didn't the Niners do something? It's the same story. You're not competing this year, obviously. The only thing you're competing for is the number one pick in the draft. So why trade for a guy like a Dante Fowler who's been a bust? Why trade for uh, an Eli Apple who has had issues on and off the field? You would rather have your picks and especially like to your Jets. Look at the last two years of how well they've drafted in the middle rounds. Like there have been some very good picks made in rounds three, four, five for the Jets. You don't give those picks up and and they're too valuable to that team. That's trying to reload. And it's the same deal for the Niners where 
maybe John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan haven't been as successful, but you need as many swings of the bat as you can get as a GM and as an evaluator. And so for these teams that aren't in it this year, like if you're a fan of the the Browns, the Niners, the Jets, uh, be happy that your team did not mortgage the future for bad players. These players that are available are available for a reason, either because of contract or character. Be happy that you have all your picks for 2019. Without a doubt. And when you look at this year's class, we saw a lot of mid-round picks traded this week, right? Fourth round picks, third round picks. I mean, fifth, seventh, all over the place. Like most drafts, but this one specifically, what I keep hearing is the top 50 is pretty solid this year. After that, it's going to get ugly. So teams are loading up on as many fourth and third round picks as they can to maybe package these and get back into that top 50 and get you're not trying to have a 12 player class this year. You want to come away with one, two, maybe three starting pieces. That's a success. So a lot of people are curious, you know, when you look at, oh, Demarius Thomas and Golden Tate bring back, you know, a fourth and a third round pick. Teams are just loading up. And I'm not saying the Lions aren't a contender, but they might not view themselves as one. Teams are stockpiling picks. They just want to go into the draft with as much ammo as possible to maneuver the board and really start building for the future. All right, now we got to run through all the action or maybe the uh, not so much action with the first one. Le'Veon Bell, Matt, not moved. And this is just the saga that refuses to end. But if you've been listening, you kind of knew this was going to be the case. And I don't really think the Steelers care that much anymore with how well that guy, James Conner, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's having a pretty good season over there. He really is, man. And you're right. So it's interesting uh, to, to just put a bow on it. Le'Veon Bell can't be traded because he's not under contract. He never reported, never signed his tender, so he can't be traded. Uh, and I've, I've heard some people say exactly what you just said, man, where if he shows up, he might not even play. Like, they have a fuck that guy mentality uh, from the top down, especially because, guess what? They're playing pretty well with James Conner. And as we talked about uh, just a couple shows ago, he's so cheap compared to Le'Veon Bell. There's no way you're going to keep the guy. So it, it's become this weird situation where, Bell, it, once he reports, might not even play. And honestly, it might be in his best interest not to report, to just sit out this season, not risk any injury, and just head into next year ready to go. But Le'Veon Bell not traded. I, I know some people thought maybe somebody would uh, get involved here at the last minute. Uh, the Colts, the Jets were teams that were rumored uh, a few weeks back, but he doesn't report. He's not traded. I think the best player traded, now, within the last couple of days, we'll call the trade deadline, not just the five moves that happened on Tuesday. In my opinion, the best player moved was HaHa Clinton Dix from the Green Bay Packers, making a, a surprising move within the conference. They trade him to the Washington Redskins. It, it's interesting to me because both teams are in the playoff hunt. You said it in the intro. Washington is making a run in a bad NFC East. They have a window there with a veteran quarterback in Alex Smith. They have a defense that is playing fantastic with guys up front like Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Now you had another Alabama alumni to the back end with HaHa Clinton Dix. He's ranked by Pro Football Focus as the third best safety in football this year. And you get him for a 2019 fourth rounder and a chance to make a run. I don't completely understand what Green Bay's doing by trading him away, uh, but I, I like it for Washington. I, I do. I think he was the best guy that we saw get moved. Yeah, they must see that there's space in that secondary for someone to take over or that they I, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me either with Green Bay for Washington. 
a way to go get it. And not just this move. The previous drafts, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are playing their asses off right now. I mean, that Washington front seven, they get after it. This is a team that likes to win football games in the trenches. And I think, you know, we laugh at Alex Smith sometimes or the fact that they did trade for him and gave him the deal or whatever. Right now, they're running the NFC East, and it's not really that great this year. I do think the Eagles are in a serious driver's seat to take over again. But Washington, you're not looking at it like that. You're not sitting here saying, well, they're going to catch us. You're saying, how can we get better so that no one catches us and we win this thing? I like this move for them because it gives them a cover guy over the top. And obviously, you evaluated Clinton Dix very closely that year in the draft and a very interesting year for safeties. I mean, he was a guy that could play single high and had range to help out his corners. So I like the move for them. You didn't give up a ton, right? I mean, a 2019 fourth rounder for a guy that should be there beyond this year. That's how I look at it, too. Good for Washington for recognizing the lack of competition around them and for really putting their foot on the gas for once. Yeah, I love that. And I, I guess to to circle back and, and before we move on to the next trade, if I'm Green Bay, I probably look at this as we weren't going to sign this guy. He is a free agent after this year. So you're not going to sign him. And you feel like you're going to be too aggressive in free agency to potentially uh, recoup a, a compensatory selection. So if you had kept him and he had signed somewhere else and you didn't sign any free agents that were equal in terms of contract, equal or greater, you would get a 2020 draft pick. So for them, I think they see it as, no, let's get a 2019 draft pick. And also this allows us to go out and be aggressive in free agency. So they're basically just guaranteeing that they can go spend money uh, in free agency this year. He gets flipped for a 2019 fourth rounder. The other move that Green Bay made, and the writing was on the wall after this idiot. Oh my God, made the dumbest play I've seen this year. Ty Montgomery gone, traded to the Baltimore Ravens for a 2027th rounder. That's like... If the only thing worse than that is a conditional seventh rounder, you got traded for not this year's next year seventh rounder. It's you know your shit's in the doghouse when you get traded for that little. And Montgomery had completely fallen down the depth chart there. He was like the third running back, and even his you know ability as a, a return man had now been forever lost after he uh, brought that kick out of the end zone on Sunday night. Yeah, I think that diminished his value entirely. So the Ravens felt like they needed a return man here, obviously, and some depth as a guy that's played running back and wide receiver. And unfortunately, unlike the Clinton Dix trade, Packers don't really get anything back here in this one. So it's, you know, the Ravens doing the wise thing for capitalizing on what's become obviously a bad situation. Green Bay had no leverage. I think it's pretty clear if you read some of the quotes from Packers players this week, they just wanted this guy out of the locker room. My God, Mike Silver had a great article on that. Um, NFL.com. Like, Google it if you haven't read it. And uh, I'm not in the business of promoting other other outlets, but it is a great piece. And it was like he was in the locker room Sunday evening and getting those like raw, real quotes. And you, I mean, we all saw it on TV, how pissed off Aaron Rodgers was when this happened. So uh, Ty Montgomery, gone. We already talked a little bit about Dante Fowler to the Rams. He's moved for a 2019 third round pick and a 2025th rounder. So they, they did give up a decent amount to get a guy who is on a nine week rental. Basically. I think the cool thing is the Rams right now have seven first rounders just on defense, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, Michael Brockers, Akeem Tlaib, Marcus Peters, Mark Barron, and now Dante Fowler jr. Seven first rounders just on defense. I don't even do that shit in Madden. Like that's hard to do. 
It's absurd. I mean, when you look at their defensive line, aren't they all top 15 picks? It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous because Brockers went 14th. Donald was 13th. Fowler was third. Sue was second overall. The, I mean, the amount of talent. And let's not forget, uh, this is an undefeated football team. Isn't it hilarious? People were asking Sean McVay about the Cleveland speculation. Jesus. Like, hey, uh, Sean McVay, I know you're in the city with the most beautiful weather in possibly the world right now. And uh, you're undefeated and you're the youngest coach in football. But would you leave for the Browns? <laughs> I mean, what are we no. doing? Yeah, just, just go ahead and say it. No, there's no way uh, no, in hell. Just, yeah. And he did. the. I mean, Sean always says the right things where he goes, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It's like no shit. It's like asking uh, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, would you leave Blake Lively for yeah. like some two? No, I wouldn't. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> when you look at the return here, I think number one, I said it. This makes sense for the Rams. You're going for a Super Bowl. They needed edge help. I know the Rams don't need a lot of things. They needed some help on the edge. That's been the one, you know, really noticeably weaker spot for them. So I like the move for them. For Jacksonville, it almost seems like, too, they just kind of wanted Fowler out of the locker room at this point. I, I mean, there'd been, you know, the fight from the summer. Yep. There'd been problems here. They got a decent return. I know you missed on him at the third overall pick, but you're bringing back a third round pick and eventually a fifth round pick later on. So a better return than I expected. I'll say that at a minimum. Uh, this is my favorite trade of the entire deadline. You know, Clinton Dix was a close second, but this is by far. Well, this is close. This is a close, you know, leading of the pack. Golden Tate to the Eagles. I love this move. Now, the Lions, who are right in it, just felt like they wanted to move on from him because he's a free agent after this season. They get back a third round pick, but the Eagles, I mean, there aren't many receivers that are more perfect right now for that offense there for Golden Tate. I think him and Wentz are going to absolutely kill it. You know, Wentz is a guy that force feeds, or, or rightfully so, it targets Alshon Jeffrey. Now he's got another guy in that offense, and a guy, Matt, that has played in big games. He's a real pro and can handle the moment and can carry an offense when needed. He's good after the catch. He's a good route runner. I love his attitude. I thought this was the move of the deadline. Yeah, I one thing I love he just brings so much toughness. And like you said, he's a great fit, not only for... He'll block. Uh, he'll block. It, yeah, in the run game, he's going to be huge. Watch this dude on jet sweeps, going over the middle. He brings that extra gear of speed that they really don't have. Like, Alshon's a big body receiver. Nelson Aguilar's a very good route runner, but he's not super juiced up. Now you have somebody who absolutely is. And with J.H.I.A. out, I think Golden Tate's going to help a lot in the short to intermediate passing game. And it, it, remember, this guy played running back in high school and a little bit in college. I wouldn't be shocked if we see him line up in the backfield every now and then just to give different looks. But it is, uh, I, I think, a lot to give up for a 30-year-old receiver who is a free agent after this year. But if you win a Super Bowl with him, nobody cares. Like, it will not matter if they go out and win a Super Bowl uh, with Golden Tate. And they need a spark. I mean, they do. They're two games back, uh, I believe, of Washington in the division right now. So they need something. They need something offensively, especially I think Carson Wentz has been forcing the ball a little bit lately. He's been pressing some more. So now you have somebody who is the type of weapon that Doug Peterson can scheme touches for. Uh, you have so much speed at your disposal. He's really going to open things up. So I agree. That's probably my second favorite move that was made. And I know like Bleacher Report sent a tweet out making fun of, you know, you trade a first for Amari Cooper when you trade a third for Golden Tate, a fifth for Josh it's Norman, so and a fourth and a seventh for Demarius Thomas. But you got a 30-year-old 
who is going to be a free agent. You just don't trade much for those people. So I, I think it's uh, it's really a good trade for both teams. I think so, too. I look at this. I, I know the Eagles are in a funky cap situation heading into next year, but money could always be moved around in this league. Golden Tate's a guy I would try to get on a Band-Aid deal. I'd try to slap yeah. another year or two on that deal. I know he's 30 now. He turned 30 in August. I mean, I don't think this has to be a pure rental move down the line. Speaking of another wide receiver move, <laughs> and I do like this one. I don't really love the player anymore, but I like the fit. Demarius Thomas to the Texans, you had to help out Deshaun Watson. You've put no offensive line in front of him since he got into the league. He lost Will Fuller, who's been an excellent target for him when healthy. Fuller is out for the season. Uh, of course, Hopkins is great, but you need something across from him. I think going out and getting Demarius Thomas was the right move because it really didn't cost you much, right? I mean, right. this Texans team is sneakily one of the better teams in the AFC right now. I don't know how they lost to the New York Giants. I don't understand it because I watched them play and I'm like, they look much more put together right now than Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, or, they've, you know, won, on a consistency they've won five position. straight games, and they're they're two games up in their own division, and that division's not good. I mean, you have to worry a little about Indianapolis making a, a kind of a run now, but they're three and five. I mean, that's a you have to stay ahead. So you're right, man. You lose Will Fuller. Well, shit, let's go out and get a receiver, and it's going to cost you a fourth round pick because you're swapping sevenths. I, I totally agree with you. I don't love him as a player anymore, but give Deshaun Watson a big body. That's what he needs. He needs somebody that can win on body routes. He can win on slants, comebacks, and he is going to give you a little bit after the catch. Because let me tell you, yep. Sammy Coates ain't that guy. He's not what you need out there. And when you have a horrible offensive line, but a very good defense, you're going to have to get the ball out quickly. And I, I think Thomas fits what they're going to want to do there. I mean, it's, it's really, not to make this the Deshaun Watson show, but it's Really amazing what he has been able to do. Like, yeah, I think the first two weeks he didn't look great. And obviously, you know, New England beat them week one, and that's a very good team. But you're right. I mean, Tennessee and New York, the New York Giants games, you know, he threw for almost 400 yards against the Giants and almost won that one. He has been very good since then. And I know some everybody's going to be like, oh, well, there are some games with bad stats. I don't care. He's been very, very good. He's carrying this team. And now hopefully he gets a little more help. Yeah, I have a question. Do you think if Deshaun Watson was drafted by the Chiefs, his numbers would be that far off of Mahomes? No, I don't. I, it would, there would I be love some Pat. throws I, that he can't make that Pat can't, yes, obviously. I, I completely agree. But no, I mean, that situation is just so good. And, and you know what? Pat would be the first person to come on the show and tell you that. That situation is very, very good. Now, I think the one thing that's different is uh, Pat has been so good at not turning the ball over. And that's one area where I still worry about Watson turning the ball over a little too much um, where he just stares down guys a little bit. Um, I I think the Buffalo game, he had two picks where I was just like, Oh man. But he also has games like Miami where he throws five touchdowns, only four incompletions. So it's uh, it, it wouldn't, it's not crazy to think that I know that for sure. I think they're just both great quarterbacks is the point. I I really loved both of them. I love what I've seen from both of them. I think, you know, Trubisky has been a little really slow to catch up to them, but that quarterback, if he figures it out under Nagy, which you'd like to bet on, that can be a really promising quarterback group quarterback year. And one more thing to close out the Texans part of this Demarius Thomas. I think some of it just has looked unmotivated at times recently going from case Keenum to Deshaun Watson, that has to give you a little kick in the ass, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, no play is dead. Right. That's, yeah. Case Keenum. Oh, man. I don't know if you saw because it's been a busy day. I had an article where it was like, you, you know, the insider report, the most disappointing players of 2018 and Case Keenum was on there. It was like, how the fuck are you going to make this guy your starting quarterback, the highest paid player on your team, and he is not any good? And yeah, that would motivate the hell out of me of, oh, I get to go play in a dome with Deshaun Watson instead of being in Denver with Case Keenum. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And that, that's yeah, no, I, think, I love Denver. <laughs> that's no disrespect to Denver, but playing in a dome this half of the season is a lot different than being in Denver. Oh, especially for those older guys. I mean, when uh, you get to 30, you, you want to be, you, you're done with the Denver cold. <laughs> I mean, so um, it, another move. And, and now this is the part where the Giants just kind of start selling here. Uh, a little late, guys, but Eli Apple to the Saints. This is a player that I did not like as a prospect. His career could not have started off worse. I actually think he was starting to figure it out this year, ironically. He didn't look lost in coverage. He looked solid. And the Saints only give up a fit. They need a corner help, right? This is a defense. This is a team that has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations. Uh, when we bring that these trades up, that comes into the picture. Yeah. No coincidence. The teams that we've talked about have all have Super Bowl aspirations. Outside of the Rams, though, on this on this rundown today, I think the Saints are the most realistic team that has the same aspirations there. How much does this improve their secondary, Matt? I actually think it does a lot, and I'm glad you said that. He really was starting to figure it out this year, and I, I think, again, it's hard for sometimes people to separate the stories of last year versus who he was as a player this year, and I, I think this is a good chance for him to hit the reset button and get to a locker room that's stable and not dysfunctional and where he can actually develop and learn, and you have you have leadership and you have good players around him where he's not going to be asked to just come in and be the savior of the secondary. And it's, you know, getting traded, you're not the number 10 pick in the draft anymore. Like you're just a guy who got traded. And I think some of that pressure is gone. So I'm excited to see what he can do uh, in that defense. I think they're going to let him be aggressive. And uh, we saw with how they were last year with guys like Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, like they're going to throw you out there and let you make plays. And if you, if you mess up, you mess up. It's not going to be like when you mess up in New York and, and every newspaper in the city is writing about you. Yeah, and when you're a top 10 pick, that's how it goes. I mean, you got to put up or shut up right away, and that's not easy. So uh, the other you know, big sale here from the Giants and, and only bringing back a fifth round. So they got a, four, they got a fourth and a seventh for Eli Apple. Uh, I said earlier the fifth. The fifth was for Damon Harrison from the Lions. Still a very, very highly productive run stopper. And I think it, that's what makes the Lions trading Golden Tate so confusing here. Yeah, it really does. I thought the same thing of like, why do you add you beef up one side right, and you lose on the a other? Super, super expensive nose tackle, like a two down player to just turn around and like, okay, you have Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay at receiver. Like, that's what you're going to run with. So it it is weird of like, are you trying to like just do a fire sale because you're last in the division or? Are you trying to like load up and make a run? It, it really didn't. It, the, the two moves don't go together. I, I think looking at it from the Giants perspective, and I, we've said for months, hey, this is not a year to get a quarterback. It's not a great year to need a quarterback. They now have extra picks in rounds four and five. So if someone makes a quarterback in a laboratory between now and April that you would want to trade up for, they're starting to accumulate a little bit of draft capital to where maybe you could move up to get someone. Now, with Snacks, though, is there any part... Now, he's 30. 
right now. He still has two more years left on this deal. The good thing is it's you can get out of this deal. I mean, there's no guarantee. There'll be no dead money if you cut him after this year. Do you think this is Matt Patricia saying, hey, that that's a guy we can get for, we're not going to get a better player in the fifth round than Snacks Harrison for the middle of our defense? I think so. I think that's he a thought, very, I mean, feels you know, like, like the, Jet, the Jets, do, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. He's capitalizing on the market and saying, okay, the Giants are very weak right now where we can go get this guy, no matter that he's 30, we think he could play at a high level in the middle of our defense on what? Yeah, it, it, you're right. Expensive nose tackle. A year from now, with these free agent money, I mean, $7 million on the cap next year, how expensive is that going to look? I don't know, because the cap will go up at a number we don't have right now. But to me, this is a, hey, I want this guy for the next year and a half or two and a half years. And with Golden Tate, it was, we're probably not going to sign him. Let's get the third rounder back now. So it, this might be more of a long-term, in a weird way, it's a veteran, but more of a long-term move for Matt Patricia, who does care a lot about stopping the run. And, we, you know, that they've been embarrassed a couple of times with that this year. And I think he just wanted an end to it. All right, guys, you listen to us talk. Now we get to answer your questions. It's draft on draft time. First question from Dam Supa. Dam Supa. That's a great name. What schemes best fit the Wisconsin offensive lineman at the next level? Would big guys like Greg Little or Michael Jordan fit the jet zone blocking scheme? So I, I think it's a great question. Um, you can obviously watch Wisconsin play and see like, all right, these guys would be good in a, a man scheme. They're all powerful guys. But I think that's one thing where when you get into team specific scouting, like for the Jets or Broncos or Texans or Niners, and you're looking at his own scheme, you, you can look at Wisconsin guys or like Greg Little, Ole Miss, Michael Jordan at Ohio State. You can start to just evaluate their agility, their balance, their movement in space. So you want to look for the place where they're they're pulling, they're trapping, they're trying to get up to the second level and try to evaluate them outside of the scheme that they actually play in to where they would be a good fit. Now, you know, guys like Michael Jordan, who's like a six foot eight interior offensive lineman, you know, see a lot of those in zone blocking schemes, but that doesn't mean it can't work. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's interesting to bring up Greg Little because my answer strictly is yeah, I do think Greg Little would fit in the Jets zone blocking scheme. My problem is I know we didn't do stock watch this week and it's something, you know, we don't want to hammer into the ground every week because we're just, it, it became the David Montgomery problem where we're throwing him down, bringing him up, throwing it. So we'll get back to that in the coming weeks. Took a little break, but Greg Little would be a stock down guy for me this year. I've been underwhelmed. I thought he was pitched to us over summer as, hey, probably a top 10 pick, probably a franchise tackle. I don't see that right now. So does the player's skill set fit the scheme? Yeah, I think so. And Michael Jordan is a guy I haven't gotten to watch on film yet. We're going to Ohio State in a couple of weeks. So that'll be a great entry point and then get to see all the coaches film in the offseason to watch him. But little has been a disappointment for me so far. Yeah, he has been. And it one interesting guy, Trey Adams, who had a back injury uh, for Washington and we thought he was going to miss the whole year. Uh, he's back. So uh, that that is God, very yeah. exciting because he was he was a six foot eight, three hundred twenty pound left tackle who I compared to like a Taylor uh, Decker type guy. So he's somebody that would be interesting to watch as a Jets fan. I mean, maybe he doesn't even come out this year. Maybe he he tries to build on it and and comes out in twenty twenty. But that's definitely a, a guy to watch. Uh, next one, Jesse on iTunes. Who are some prospects you see the Chargers targeting in the draft? And also wants to know, where would we rank Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon in their position groups? I, I still think that Keenan Allen is a top 10 to 12 wide receiver in the NFL. My biggest thing with him has always been just health. health. Like 
It, can oh, he stay healthy? And, you know, like even this year, he's been very good so far. I mean, he, what, he had like uh, eight for 100 eight, and eight in the opener against Kansas City. But uh, there have been some weeks where he just seems a little bit slower. Um, but I, I do still think if for a dude that, God, if he could just have stayed healthy throughout his career, he would be one of the best receivers in the game. But I love him uh, overall. I think Melvin Gordon, gosh, I would say he's probably a top 10 running back. Such a good pass catcher. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, he they got two guys, him and Austin Eckler, and yeah. But w- when you look at Melvin Gordon, I the yards per carry isn't always high, but he's this kind of guy that you look at. It's you know how nice it is for a staff, and I know he gets banged up, but when he's good to go, for a staff to look at a guy and say, "Hey, twenty five touches today, go get him." You know, twenty carries, five targets. Yeah, that really can help your offense, and that's what Melvin Gordon can be. Not to mention, he's just the man. So. I'm with you, Matt, on Keenan Allen. I think he's much better than he gets grouped as because he's just always a health risk. But God, he he might be one of the best route runners in all of football. It, it's just a and yeah. The rapport he has with Philip Rivers is extremely special. The Chargers are are such a problem to me because I love the team they've assembled. They always get bit by the injury plague. So when you look at draft targets, it, it's an interesting question because. You know, Bosa's been hurt this year, right? And I love Melvin Ingram. But they have two pass rushers there that are very productive players. Phillip Rivers does not look like a guy that's going to be done anytime soon. I don't care about the age. He's He hasn't pulled the Eli Manning, which I wonder how many Super Bowls he would have won with the Giants. But Oof. I won't torture everyone with that <laughs> talk right now. Yeah. So you're not panicking for a quarterback because... You simply don't need to. Rivers is 36. He's quietly having one of the best seasons of his career. He's completing 70% of his passes almost. 17 touchdowns, three picks. He's been amazing. So you're kind of just loading up at positions. Maybe you go, I mean, you could go get another receiver. You probably yeah. need a, a linebacker. Derwin James is going to be a star. You could keep, you probably load up on the offensive line is what you would really like to do. Somehow, this Chargers team is very close on paper. No, they are. And I, I think the answer might be offensive tackle where you have Russell Okung at left tackle. He's 31 now. It's not super old, but um, maybe you could look for an upgrade there. Or you have Joe Barksdale right tackle who's uh, going to be 31. So you could maybe look to get younger where you have a guy like a Greg Little who's maybe a year away. Um, the defensive line, like you said, I mean, you have both and Ingram and their studs. Corey Legit's very good. They drafted Justin Jones in the third, but I wouldn't be shocked if they went D-line just because their run defense has been so bad. And I know they're young True. and they've kind of gone to this like smaller scheme with, you know, Kaiser white and Luciano Nuoso being draft uh, targets for them last year. So they're not, they're not real big in the middle of the field. That might be an area, like you said, linebacker where they try to get better. But I, like, I really like the chargers roster. It's just, they just can't stay healthy is the biggest problem. No, they can't. But it, listen, if you need interior D line, uh, guess what? You came to the right draft. Because yeah. Uh, yeah. I know you've been dying to talk about Quinn and Williams for the last two weeks, and we haven't been able to because we didn't <laughs> do stock up. So I'm going to separate. I'm going to give some time here for you to just kind of what have you seen this year from it, it's his first year playing full time. And it to me, he looks unstoppable right now. Yeah, he does. And you're right. I've tried to put this in the rundown like the last two weeks. Um, Man, he's amazing. First year starter, redshirt sophomore. So might not even come out this year, but number 92. I don't know. Like he's slippery. I think it's the best way to describe him. It's just 
he his ability to get through the line, like he's to be a 300 pounder, I think he's probably like 6'3, 6'4. He's not your prototypical Alabama defensive lineman. Like he's not a two gapper. He's not just in there plugging holes. He gets into the backfield and makes plays. Like it's like Fletcher Cox, but maybe maybe a little better off like off the ball. He's just so good. I, I think he might. Honestly, uh, I've been saving this for an article, but fuck it. I'll just say it right now. He might end up being a better ranked player than Ed Oliver. Really think he could be. He's that special in terms of what he does as a run defender and just how polished he is as a pass rusher. He, he, this term gets used way too often, but he is just a freak. I mean, there's there's nothing like it when sometimes you see these guys and it's like it's 20 years old and he's doing things you shouldn't be able to do as a defensive lineman. He's almost made people forget that Raquan Davis on that defensive line could be a first right. round pick too. It's just so funny. Mac Wilson at linebacker, Deontay Thompson at safety. Uh, this is a year I would just like, can I have the Alabama defense as my draft? Oh my God. And just walk away with that. I think it that was really unbelievable. I think that was Mello's joke. The Raiders should just draft Alabama. Like, I mean, good luck. Lo- it's working for <laughs> Washington right now. So it sure is. So this next one from Wyatt potential trade. He wanted to know before the deadline, potential trade destinations for Carl Joseph and Bruce Irvin. And I wanted to keep the question in here and kind of spin, you know, why the Raiders weren't able to move either guys. I think there was just no value there, especially Bruce Irvin does surprise me. I thought a team would trade a seventh, see if they can get him going. I know he's 30, but teams are always looking for pass rush help. I think Carl Joseph just has just really underperformed. And the Raiders, because they're good players, Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, were able to bring back first-round picks for them. The market just wasn't hot on these other guys. Yeah, it really wasn't. And I I think uh, something that I said earlier in the show is that I feel like there were a lot of calls, and then the prices just got too high. And and so for the Raiders, you'd already traded away Amari Cooper. You'd already traded away Khalil Mack. They were probably looking at, okay, for us to get rid of these guys who we do like, they're good players. Uh, it's going to take quite a bit to get them. So I, I think that's a big reason it didn't happen. And, and oddly enough, some of the best destination for those guys were within either the division or within the conference. And I don't think the Raiders, I mean, I know they weren't going to trade Khalil Mack or Amari Cooper to an AFC team. They probably felt the same way about these guys. Like, you know, the Chiefs could have used Carl Joseph, but obviously the Raiders aren't trading a player to the Chiefs. All right. A really good conversation I was having on Instagram with Mike Hubbard. He wanted to know any comparison between Noah Fant this year's top tight end prospect from Iowa and Mike Gusecki, the Dolphins second round pick from last year. He actually hit me up on Snapchat and was asking me this. Um, and uh, after first making fun of my voice because of uh, bronchitis <laughs> or something, I can't talk. So uh, what I told him was, I don't, I don't see any comparison. I think Noah Fant is number one, a more well-rounded player. Yeah, <laughs> much better. He's just, he's more well-rounded. Mike Gusecki was really a jump ball vertical threat. I think Noah Fant is, uh, like we talked about on the Monday morning show, they move him. I mean, he plays receiver at times. He's much more well-rounded. I think he's a better overall athlete. He's not going to have the vertical jump that Gusecki had, obviously, but just a more well-rounded athlete. Um, and and I, I think it's, it's easier to put him into any NFL scheme because of the talent that he has. All right, the next one from Brandon to Albert. Hey, Matt, got a draft on draft. <laughs> not, not for you, sorry. <laughs> I love that. Fine, I won't answer. Uh, with the Tate trade, can you explain how the compensatory pick situation works? For, uh, if, for example, Tate does not re-sign with the Eagles. 
Yeah, so now the Eagles own his contract. So if he were to go to another team and sign, let's say he goes somewhere and signs for $15 million, which isn't crazy to think. Uh, the Eagles then basically have uh, an exemption to sign someone uh, to that. If they sign a player to $15 million or more, then it would cancel out Golden Tate. If not, they would get back a compensatory pick based on how much he's paid. So if he's paid as one of the top receivers, they would get back a third. If he's paid in the next tier, they get back a fourth. And the NFL hasn't ever like officially uh, released this schedule, the compensation schedule, but that's as best as anybody can figure out. That's how it works is if a player signs as a top tier guy, you're going to get back a third round pick and those picks can be traded now. And we've actually seen that with uh, the, the Dante Fowler deal. As we're sitting here recording, it comes out that that pick, the 2019 third rounder, the Rams will send is going to be a compensatory pick if they get one. And I mean, they have to know they're going to get one at this point. Yeah, which keep in mind is always at the back end of the draft. So it's it's the lower value pick. And that makes a big difference in those rounds because you can be talking about what, like the 40th pick of the round yeah. instead of in the middle. So it makes a huge difference. And, and it's really shaken up the draft landscape and maneuverability. This next one from TMR Troopers. How do you differentiate between talent and system? Schools like Texas Tech, Washington State, and West Virginia produce 1,000-yard receivers almost every year, but they usually don't translate to the pros. Also, go ears. Please don't break Will Greer's finger again. (laughs) Well, we're going to have to do something. Uh, Pressure him is the best way to to get Will Greer. Um, I I think one thing that that we've talked a lot about on the show in the year and a half we've been running is that sometimes, I mean, you, you try to evaluate traits so that you're not looking at the system. And I I think Baker Mayfield is a good example that Will Greer will be another example of it where you try to look at uh, Baker Mayfield. Okay. How hard does he throw? That was one of the big things I wanted to see in person at the senior bowl. And and last year at the cotton bowl is how much arm strength does this guy have? Because so many of the throws at Oklahoma were underneath, but when you go watch him in person, you're like, Jesus Christ, this dude can rip the ball. So I, he could throw deep. He could throw a 25-yard out on time and get it there in a hurry. Those aren't the things you worry about. And then I, I think you want to see, okay, what are the limitations of the system? Okay, well, you're throwing a lot of uh, scheduled throws. What does he look like off schedule? Well, Baker was great off schedule. You know, he could get to his third and fourth reads at time in the pocket because he was so quick at processing what the defense was giving him. So I, I think that's what you try to do is, Okay, here's the scheme, and it's not it's not just that way for quarterbacks. You know, like a Wisconsin running back, you almost have to look for runs where he doesn't have, you know, Jonathan Taylor doesn't have a, a you know gaping hole to run through. What does he do in those situations? So that's where it's so important to evaluate the tape and to try to look for plays that are quote unquote NFL plays to see how the how the guy reacts in it. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I think that's what makes the All Star games especially really valuable for us. Like people always talk about like, Oh, you know, you get so much of the, or look forward to so much out of the senior bowl. And it's like, well, for some time, like some of those guys, you can learn a lot quickly. I've gone into senior bowl weeks with extremely high hopes or extremely low expectations of players and come out with the complete opposite. Cause you see them in a neutral environment yeah. in one-on-ones and you know, whether it's seven on seven, 11 on 11, it, you get to see all of it, and I think that's why it's too bad we don't get to see every player in that, but it really levels the playing field. All right, uh, the next one from BX Ball for Life. Where the hell can we get the real updated <laughs> draft order? Everyone seems to get them from different places. I I don't know because NFL.com has their own. I, they're all over the place. I, where do you go, Matt? Like, I don't. 
Yes. So I mean, we actually had this like not like debate, but we had this conversation myself and a lot of our NFL editors. I use NFL.com. Some people use Tankathon. I, I feel like the league's oh, website that, is probably the best <laughs> to go let, to. Who am I going yeah. to pick? Something I have not, no offense, whoever that was, not heard of, <laughs> or NFL.com. Yeah, so I usually go to NFL.com just to to get the updated draft order. I think our buddy, uh, maybe, I think Lance Airline might do it, might do the updated order and, and plug in, like, punches in some team needs. But they the I like the NFL because they will give you the team's record and their strength of schedule. Like uh, that way you can actually see like, okay, this is why they're ranked number one. But uh, yeah, just, I, I I can, this was a Reddit question and I answered on Reddit as well, but I think NFL.com is the best spot to get the the draft order. Bang. There you have it. All right. (laughs) This one from Matty G underscore seven with all signs pointing to the bills finishing with the top five pick. Hey, credit to the bills on Monday night. They had more dog in them than I expected. I'll, I'll say that much. All right. Anyways, with their all signs pointing them finishing with a top five pick, what is the best course of action? Is Jonah Williams worth the top five pick? He seems like the only offensive player remotely in that discussion, and the Bills need all the help they can get on that side of the ball. I know the philosophy is typically, uh, what is it? I what, this is getting really long. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't want to get into it. I, I just realized it's like a 700 word paragraph. Matty G, we are here to answer your question. With Dable there, I mean, it doesn't really matter who's there. This is a team that needs offensive line help. I think it's as simple as that. Josh Allen is their their quarterback of the future. They believe in him. I side that Jonah Williams is worth the top five pick, but I don't really think that a lot of people agree with that. How would you attack this top five, Matt, if you were the Bills and assuming their staff with Dable, you know, is in place there on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I would actually say that I feel like you and I are kind of outliers in that, that I don't, I honestly don't think a lot of people see him as a top 10, top five prospect in the conversation that I've had. A lot of, a lot of scouts are starting to say, Hey, I think that dude might be a guard. So when you look at what are the bills going to do, they need that too. They need that too. Yeah. I don't know if you draft that in the top five, it might be a year where you do try to trade back a little bit, but I mean, I, I think you could look at that defensive line. You know, Shaq Lawson has been a bust. Trent Murphy is a little bit of an older guy, or, or not older, he's going to be 28, but uh, a veteran guy. Jerry Hughes is someone who, uh, 30 years old, maybe you start to look for a successor there. I would start to look at the edges just because of how deep this class is. I mean, Harrison Phillips is our boy. They drafted him to hopefully eventually replace Kyle Williams up front. So uh, that's where I would look. I would look at the outsides of the defense, edges and corners in this class, especially. Like, those are two of the strengths of this class. So, you know, if an edge like uh, your guy, Jai uh, Polite, is there from Florida, maybe he's not a top five guy, but I think he could be a top 10 player and would fill a pretty big need for them in that, like you've compared him to Melvin Ingram. And, and maybe you do go to a little bit of a BPA approach where, like, okay, Devin White's there. Can we pair Devin White with Tremaine Edmonds? Yeah, because Matt Milano and Lorenzo Alexander are are very average. So you can still go into this with a BPA attitude. Um, I, I I agree completely. The offensive line is shit. This is probably the worst offensive line of football. And I say There's that a lot of bad ones. Fully understanding there are some terrible ones, but it it just might not be the year to draft a lot of offensive linemen. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. This is tricky, and it's why it's a really good question. Because if Buffalo finishes with the top five pick they might not feel the need to press for interior D-line like Ed Oliver or Quinn Williams. 
But those guys are going to finish as top five players in this class. And they might be sitting there saying, listen, it's too good to pass up. We need talent. And and I know I cut the question, but Matty G did get into, hey, you know, philosophy is typically best player available. Those guys are best player available guys. I know Josh Allen is going to need wide receiver help. I know they're going to need a running back of the future for life after Shady. I don't really think this is the class you do that at the top of round one. I, I don't see it right now. So it's really interesting. I would side on the on taking one of these star defensive linemen if you're the Bills. I think if you're a Bills fan right now, you hope to lose out because you should be hoping to get Nick Bosa. Yeah. That should be like, there, what you want here. Other than quarterback, because they drafted Josh Allen in the top 10, and middle linebacker because Tremaine Edmonds. Like, is there really a position that they couldn't draft I don't know if there is. Like even at corner, like I really like Tre'Davious White. You could use another corner. Like there's there's nowhere that I'm like, ah oh, man, they better not draft that. They're pretty set there. Like they're that bad of a team that they need help everywhere right now. Yeah, they really do. Um, it, it's we're gonna the Bills are gonna be a good friend of the podcast this year. <laughs> I will tell you that much, and that's okay. We the Browns have been a very close friend since we launched the show. It's like kind of letting a, setting a bird free. I, I know the Browns is not a good week for the Browns, but they're at least taking strides where we don't talk about them every hour of every <laughs> single episode. All right. This one from Patrick Chamberlain always sends us really good questions. If you had to come up with a currently relevant football related Halloween costume, what would you go with bonus points? If you can do this without saying chubby quarterback in reference to <laughs> dressing like Baker Mayfield, Patrick knows you pretty well. Uh, he does I, I would say, Man, what what do you got for us? You know, I I plugged this in there, and did you see the the thing going around of the baby they dress like Billy Bob from uh, for Varsity Blues? Yes, like that's the best baby thing. Costumes ever. are are usually so good. Yeah, I like, remember Andy Reid, the baby Andy Reid. Yeah, that would be a money one. That's always a money one. So I actually don't have an answer, but because you guys are listening to this on Halloween, this is our iTunes review of the week. Let us know the best. Football-related Halloween costumes. I actually thought of a couple that I know they would just delete from the podcast if I said them because they're inappropriate. (laughs) So let us know, because you can be inappropriate where I can't be. What is the best football-related Halloween costume? And maybe we'll uh, we'll use it next year. Oh, I know what I would be. I would be uh, introductory press conference Ben McAdoo. Like the the suit that would be... Yeah, the suit that's 50 times too big and the horrible haircut. That's what I that would be my football Halloween costume. And I like in in Hoboken, people might actually know what I am. Exactly. That's the thing. Or I can just stare at the clipboard the entire time. Remember every time they would cut to him and he'd just be looking at his play sheet? He would never be interacting with anyone. I think that would be I could do Jason Jason Garrett and just chew gum and clap. Like just clap everybody and chew gum. That's an easy one. Or you could be John Gruden and you trade me and Mello away for things. <laughs> yeah, for like some no names uh, to be named later. Some high school kids who maybe oh, one day will business. be good. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a 2021 hire. One yeah. hire for Bleacher Report. Trading you and Mello for Walker and Kennedy, our interns. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're a real miserable bunch. We really are. All right, buddy, that's our show for the week uh, or for the day. Uh, we will be back Friday morning. Make sure, uh, if you haven't already, 
subscribe. You can download three shows a week, Apple Podcasts, the Bleacher Report app, Stitcher, Spotify. And we're getting close 10 days away from our Missouri Southern Pitt State tailgate in Joplin, Missouri. Come out, see me and Mello. We've got koozies. We've got, I just got new bracelets today that I need to send Connor. We'll have cold drinks, definitely. And I will kick your ass at Cornhole if you want. So uh, come by, uh, shake some hands, have fun. We'll be there. That's our show. We'll talk to you guys Friday morning. We'll be right back. 